Stop! You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast, USC 280. Hey everyone, welcome back to another uh, full UFC main card preview podcast. No, whole card. This is me. It's a whole preview. <laughs> it's a whole card, yeah, yeah. Because what happened last time, in case you didn't know, is um, I kind of ditched Fenyo, and by ditch I mean I was overwhelmed by work, and to be honest, the card was really fucking bad and I couldn't be bothered. But enough about yesterday. Um, this card is pretty good. Uh, it's one of the best of the year. Especially towards the top, but in towards the bottom, I would say it's not like incredible, but everything's pretty well matched. But yeah, I mean, towards the top, think some of the most significant fights of the year are going on, and I can't wait to talk about them. Fenyo, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, and yes, this card is great. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a little bit top heavy when it comes to like name recognition, but but to be fair, the the matchmaking is pretty good all around. Like, it's all, even the fights that are not, like, all that relevant to their divisions, they are pretty well matched together, so uh, not mm-hmm. much to complain about here. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's just r- jump right into it, because this is a long card, and we'll probably talk a lot about the top fights. So Yeah, as, as usual, we're using the topology page for this. Yeah, we're forward, using topology, so. and we're going bottom to top as is mm-hmm. our custom already. Yeah. So first fight of the night is uh, women's bantamweight. It's Lena Lansberg versus Carol Hosa. So, so yeah. Uh, so Carol Hosa is like a, like a striker that stands pretty upright. She has a very solid one-two. Uh, she puts very good combinations, like punch-kick combinations. Uh She's very dexterous with the with her lead leg, like not in a like in a karate weight. She has a very good inside leg kick, like really really good. Uh, and she has pretty decent footwork in open space. Uh, her her biggest flaw is that the head movement is not very good. Uh, the head is there for the taking a lot, but she makes up she makes up for that with being a pretty pretty decent counter. Uh, and she throws counters in combinations, so that's good. Uh, the straight shots are very clean mechanically, but the the hooks and the overhands are are very flaily. She still has uh, a decent power, and when it comes to defending takedowns, she's pretty gay at framing and taking angles uh, when it comes to the clinch, but we've seen her being susceptible to leg attacks. But But mind you, that was against Sarah McMahon that it's... She's a great wrestler, obviously. Uh, Lasberg, on the other hand, is all about being a smothering clincher. She's all about like grabbing a clinch. She and there, uh, she's pretty good at timing elbows and knees. Uh, but the positioning is not very good. It's kind of easy for for fighters to turn her around and uh, to stall her there. Uh, her whole thing is like she get she can get kicks uh, or blitz her way into the clinch. She's pretty good, actually, uh, 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 taking the fight there. And she's pretty strong, physically strong from the body lock, uh, even though she's a, a little bit on the slow side on, on open space. 
And when it comes to grappling, she's pretty solid. Uh, oh, anything you want to add to that, then? Not, not particularly. I think you kind of covered them. I struggled to find some interesting things about Rosa due to some limited footage and some difficulties. I think on my end, I wasn't too sure. Or I kind of know she sometimes struggles when she can't take the initiative at times, or especially when she's pushed back. Uh, Lansbury, I got a little more information on. I 100% agree about like, like um, her trying to get into the clinch, but in the process, she often smothers herself a lot because usually how she does that, she's half stepping and utilizing a jab for that. And what happens a lot is when she ties up, she often gets pushed into the fence, often by people who are kind of stronger or more adept in the clinch. But um, I, I I don't really have much else to say. But I I, I wouldn't say I have a good enough pick or feel on Rosa to really um, pick anyone confidently here. So I defer to you. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, like Rosa has uh, a very big advantage into striking, but you know, Lansberg has that Neil Magni shit where she drags everyone into a clinch, a clinch fight. So, so you never know. It's like a good test. Uh, I think Rosa is a pretty decent uh, a prospect. Uh, and I think her, her style of defense, especially like framing off and taking angles uh, when it comes to clinches, uh, match up pretty well with Lasberg. So I'm picking mm-hmm. her to win a decision on this one. But Lasberg is live. Like, she can turn around fights with the elbows and the clinch, man. The clinch sometimes just gets to people. Like, it's tiring mm-hmm. in a way that uh, some fighters, even grapplers, are not used to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next we have um, at men's flyweight, uh, Muhammad Mokayev is facing Malcolm Gordon, and I kind of found this to be a pretty interesting fight on paper, because Mokayev's a pretty fast starter, he has a lot of amateur experience, and he shows a lot of unique things. His cage cutting's decent, he uses strikes to look for tie-ups, and at distance he reads like exchanges pretty decently. He likes to flurry into just those tie-ups, often goes for back controls. Really excels at, like, smothering against the cage, particularly. Then we have Gordon. Gordon kind of likes to flurry, too. Ooh, but he's very, very aggressive and pushes for takedowns off the single leg. Um, he doesn't really seem to slow down. He's very, very willing to scramble. So, I I don't really know how to predict this fight too much. Um, because a lot of it, I think, kind of hinges on who gets those grappling exchanges started and finished. I would say for a few deciding factors on the feet. Mikhaev, I think, struggles a bit at range, um, a bit, or finding many tools to control it behind maybe a jab when he isn't cutting off the cage or much kicks. Whereas Gordon, um, Gordon will often like, like throw some things out there to kind of keep his guy guessing. The problem with Gordon is he kind of gets thrown off balance a lot and it lets the other guy get in on his hips to take him down. So. I, I don't really know how this will go. I think it will depend upon who's pushing forward a bit, but also, like, who can really, really get the better of, like, how those exchanges grappling-wise open up. So I'm not I'm not too sure I can predict this one personally. Yeah, the thing with uh, Gordon, we've seen having, like, sketchy moments in the ground before. Like, she got, uh, he got swept by, by Figueredo. Uh, pretty easily in their fight, but then she uh, he just kept pushing the pace and got to to Francisco. Uh, I think Mokayev is probably the the better grappler of the two, better technically. 
and Mokaeva, I would say it's better like mechanically on the feet. Uh, as you mm-hmm. said, Gordon throws himself out of position a lot, but I think Gordon is it's better under under the fire. I'm not sure Mokaev has that. Like if the fight gets ugly, I think I trust Gordon more to to push a pace and keep it, like just going for it because when you see Gordon fighting like his ga- his gas tank should not last the three the three rounds but it does somehow it's it's very impressive uh, if it goes to like second third round this this could get very interesting i think mokayev will have a big advantage early especially if gordon concedes ground i think uh, it would be wise for gordon to to come out of the gate pressuring immediately because Mokayev is, as you said, pretty decent at cutting the cage. Um, he's very quick, mm-hmm. has the better mechanics. Uh, if Gordon starts going back, he will find himself defending takedowns against the cage. And, and as I said, uh, he gets sloppy sometimes and I think Mokayev is like too clean of a grappler to let that fly. If it, yep. if it goes late, like it could be, anything could happen. Maybe Mokayev has like great great gas tank too and can start making reads but I wouldn't count on it uh, either way mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm picking Mokayev by submission on the first round but uh, yeah it's an interesting fight it, it should give us more information about Mokayev as a prospect for sure yeah yeah I'll take I'll take Mokayev by a little longer than that probably by decision um just because I think Gordon can probably surprise a few th- ways but uh yeah Mokayev's probably the favorite here it feels like yeah, I think uh, I think the UFC is trying to give like a like a small test to Mokayev here. Like they're play, playing it pretty safe. I I think they want him to be like a thing in the division, but but Gordon has the potential to surprise here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So up next is a middleweight fight. Uh, Armin Petrosian. He is not related to Giorgio Petrosian. For those of you wondering, so don't bother. And he is fighting AJ Dobson. Um, I think my thing with this one is um, I I do notice Armin kind of likes to throw a lot for the sake of throwing sometimes behind a jab and and kind of like behind the overhand. Actually, that's a common theme of this entire card. Lots of overhand people. Um, Spoilers. He does like to throw switch kicks or like... um, or like kind of flurries to make the other guy back up. The problem with him is he um constantly has to reset his feet because he'll throw himself off balance when he flurries and he gets backed up pretty easily or gets punished for it consistently. Um Do- Dobson throws a lot of heat. Um but Dobson's problem is that he's very very open on the entry of exchanges. Um He's at least willing to fire, but when the other guy is able to push him, he really, really struggles. But here, I do think he may have some advantage on the feet, because Petrosian does kind of like to work more off the back foot, and Dobson is a lot better on the lead. Um, As for, like, takedowns or, like, wrestling, hard to say, um, because I I didn't get a good read of Petrosian's, but I've seen Dobson have decent balance with his takedown defense even if someone gets the full body lock. Um, but he can be controlled against the fence if he's smothered there. So, um, c- kind of an interesting fight. I'm not too sure. What do you think? Yeah, Dobson is very, very athletic. Uh, 
I think he has a, a wrestling background. He doesn't fight like a wrestler at all. But when when you see him defending uh, takedowns, you can tell that he has some kind of pedigree. Even though Malcolm like get got to him late in their fight, uh, initially her his first layer of takedown defense was very very solid. Um, he used to be like super sloppy, but then in his last fight he looked pretty composed. Uh, but I think that's clearly like not his style. Um, I think uh, I think uh, it's a bit a little bit taxing for him to stay in like uh, technical uh, between quote marks. Uh, but yeah, as you said, he has a lot of power. Petrosian, on the other hand, is super active. He's like a and he's a good kicker uh, with the lead leg uh, he has. He's very surprising. He has like a, a high kick that is very sneaky. Uh, he's kind of on the like that kickboxing mold that he he mostly just sticks to the one through th- one two three on the feet. But but he has like he can move people into shots and he can surprise in the counter. He he throws very hard too. Um, the thing about Petrosian is that. Uh, the gas tank is very solid for someone that fights at uh, the pace he does. And we've seen Dobson, like, he's very explosive, but he cannot keep up. And I think that's probably the the big difference here, because uh, first round, Dobson is probably dangerous for everyone, because he throws so hard. And he's and he has some good ideas, especially like when Dobson like, uh, finds shots off the hand fighting. Especially I like when Orthodox fighters do that against fellow Orthodox fighters. But but I think if the fight goes long, it's the pace of Petrosian and the thing that he just has more more layers to his striking game. Even though he's very like meat and potatoes, you can tell he's the more experienced striker in those situations. So I think Petrosian wins this one. Yeah, the, the other thing is like I haven't really seen Dobson personally go far late, like you said, whereas I've seen Armin Petrosian go toe-to-toe with the Mr. Comeback of middleweight Robocop himself. And like it, Armin did take a lot of punishment in that fight, but he was like consistently keeping up even by the end. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think Petrosian has a bit of an edge if he's able to survive like some of the opening stuff here from Dobson. Yeah, I mean, Petrosian can be tagged for sure, but he's very tough. I mean, Robocop was landing huge shots at some moments, uh, but mm-hmm. but I think he won that fair that that fight like pretty fairly. Um, so yeah, I gotta go with Petrosian here. Dobson is a, is a very interesting specimen <laughs> physically, and he's showing some technical uh, abilities. So it, it might get interesting, but for now, I gotta go yeah. with Petrosian. Yeah, it should be a good match, though. Yeah, it should be a fun fight because both guys are active and throw hits, so can't complain about mm-hmm. that one. True. So, next fight, we move down a division. It's welterweight. We have Abu Kavar Nurmagomedov versus Gachi Omar Gachiev. So, fight from both guys from the Caucasus, fellow, uh, fellow Russians here. Um... A bit of a mirror match. I mean, their styles are different, but they're like well-rounded fighters, and they're like some of the same stuff. 
on Magomedov be surprisingly a decent striker. I was expecting him to be worse, to be honest. Um, has a good jab. Uh, not a very layered one, but the mechanics are good, and he has some sense of timing, so he can he can put some stuff uh, over it. Uh, the one two is pretty pretty good too. Uh, he gets kind of predictable when he switches to southpaw to to land like roundhouse kicks from the, with the left leg, but he throws super hard with those kicks, so can't complain a lot. Uh, he's also good at punishing resets. That's one of the most interesting things about Nurmagomedov here, is that he would track people and try to land jabs when they're trying to reset, and that's pretty good. Uh, when it comes to grappling, uh, Nurmagomedov is all about like the reactive double. He's pretty good at changing levels with it, and if he he grabs a uh, hold of you, the chain wrestling is pretty good. Uh, he has the single legs, the high crotches. He can he likes to transition to the back against the fence. All the classics from from somewhat with the last name Nurmagomedov. Omar Gashiev, on the other hand, uh, it's all about the overhand on the feet. Like, he likes to throw the overhand on the counter, uh, leaving, and he has decent timing with it on the counter. Uh, and when it comes to takedowns, he's all about pairing the overhand and the level change with the uh, knee tap. And uh, he's pretty good at it, actually. Like, uh, he's not as fast as Nurmagomedov with the level change, but, but he has good timing uh, with that knee knee tap, especially when he throws, like, at the same time with the overhand right. Uh, he also has, like, powerful kicks, and he used those to pressure people, like, pu pushing them to the fence. But he doesn't have many setups when it comes to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both guys, I mean, on Magomedov, I would say the more liar striker, but Omar Gadashiev has the, the most dangerous stuff with the overhand. I would I would say, what do you think about that? I, I don't have much else to add to Omar Gachiev, um in particular, because I think you nailed it about the overhand, especially as a counter or a conversion sometimes in the takedowns. Uh, Nurmagomedov, like you said, definitely a jabber. He can be plotting, but like he has a pretty good idea of using it to kind of control some rhythm. Um, I, I could You explained his takedown process way better than I could. I would say... Um, I, I, in matchups like these, I kind of do favor a bit more layered tools that Nurmagomedov has shown. Um, having said that, I don't think Nurmagomedov pursues takedowns as much as Omar Gachiev maybe could. But in those exchanges on the ground that could happen, I, I don't really think I know who's going to have a clear edge over that. So that kind of makes this really weird. Um, so... It's definitely a well-matched fight. I think it just comes down to, do you favor a bit more processed or a bit more, like, dynamism? Yeah. Um, so, kind of a coin flip one here. Um, having said that, the real battle is who gets to wear the red shorts, um, <laughs> which I think is the most important part of all. That probably but, giving them to Nurmagomedov, you know that. <laughs> that That's true, but it's just funny. So, anyways... Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I tend to be someone who favors more process over dynamism sometimes, so I'll, I think I'll take Nurmagomedov here. Yeah, I'm taking Nurmagomedov here too, uh, especially because uh, I like his process, and I think that's a game that it's better better prepared to deal with a with a three round fight. And considering this is a like a pretty good, well matched fight, I think uh, it's good to have like a more 
more consistent style. Uh, one thing to to point out is that if Nurmagomedov takes the fight down, like uh, Omar Gadashev is very good uh, attacking the legs, and we've seen uh, Nurmagomedov tap to submissions before, so that's one mm. thing to watch out. But I'm still picking Nurmagomedov by decision. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So up next we have a featherweight bout. Between Zubaria Tukugov versus Lucas Almeida. So, Tukugov is kind of a frustrating fighter to watch. Um, with one exception, if you watch his fight with Ricardo Ramos, that fight actually is really fun. It's very good. So, Tukugov, Tukugov, I think, is kind of difficult to understand because kind of how Tukugov works is he's very much kind of an all-or-nothing kind of fighter. He's, he's very based around, like, counters or, like, picking a specific attack at a specific time. Against Ramos, I think it exemplifies him at his highest gear, where his left hook counter is his best punch, but it also shows he's willing to work behind a counter jab or an overhand after he catches jabs behind his rear hand quite a bit. Um, the pro He's very, very dangerous for most guys just because he's so fast and hits so hard. Um, the, the problem with Takugov often is that he can kind of be drawn into, like, a single kind of range or like kind of fight at times where he likes to let the other guy lead Eid if he can't hurt them. So I, I think like, um, although the Ramos fight did show a lot more improvements and ideas on the lead, like he's still kind of a reactive fighter at heart. So having said that though, I kind of uh, think Almeida isn't really good enough to take advantage of some of those things. Cause Almeida himself is very, very aggressive and he loves to leave behind the flurries. In particular, he likes to fire out a lead hand and rear leg kick, especially. Yeah. And I really, really suspect because of that, even though Almeida is pretty aggressive himself and is willing to fight it out, I, I don't think it would be a good idea to try to like test yourself with someone with Takugov's accuracy and doggedness. So, although I've seen Takugov kind of back off a bit from Ramos's flurries, I don't. I think Ramos also mixed in a few other ancillary tools to keep Tukugov guessing, so I'm kind of not too optimistic for Almeida here, but it should be really fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of a similar matchup to the Hamos fight, really. Um, Almeida, is, Almeida has the thing that he's a lot longer, though. He's very long for the division. Um, but yeah, I think the the high activity of Almeida actually plays into to Hugo's game because he likes that uh, when you make Hugo high at a high pace I think he's at his best um, it would be interesting to see who wins with the left hook in the pocket <laughs> considering like that's mm -hmm. the that's the punch of both guys and it can get interesting to is actually he's awkward but if you like stop and see like he's very technical I think uh I think Almeida has like some types of cleaner mechanics, but I think Tukugov is like the more technical striker overall. He's like better mm -hmm. at school. Uh, when the defense, especially Tukugov, is very good at, at managing distance. Like, and I think uh, for someone that that doesn't move his head very well, like Almeida does, um, it's very good for him because he will be able like to just like slide out of kicks and come into range again. And I'm guessing, like, especially because Almeida has the problem of not moving the head a lot, is that Tukurov is going to find home for the overhand, and especially that left hook. 
uh, yep. Almedia Space might get to to Google because Almedia um, has uh, has power and has space, and that's very interesting to see against a guy that is like likes to wait here and there, and he won't be allowed to wait a lot. Almeida is gonna give him uh, a lot to work with, but maybe that just plays into Tukuro that will make the reads and start like landing hard shots. But this should be a very fun fight, as you said. It's very. Mm-hmm. This should be good. Um, I have to take uh, Suva on this one after the, that performance against Hamos. I do too. So we move into like heavyweight, and it's Volkan Ustemir versus Nikita Krylov, and pretty good for like heavyweight. Not gonna lie about this one. Um, so Ustemir, we know he's a medium potato striker. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, he's kind of labored mechanics, but he go- he puts good combinations together and has like sneaky big power. Like he sometimes lets some shots that don't look like they they have a lot, and he puts people out or drops people. Um, the takedown defense is pretty solid, and that might come into play into this into this fight. And uh, he's a functional grappler, especially from top position. Uh, the thing, the big thing up against Uzumir that is. He's slowing down a little bit in his career, but he's still at this stage. He's very disciplined at following a game plan and staying composed during fights. And I think that will be very important because Krylov is, it's like on the on the other end of the spectrum. He's total chaos. He's awkward. He's like a Kyokushin kickboxer. Um, and that comes with like the super sneaky, like left kick, high kick, a lot of guys in this card with sneaky lead legs, <laughs> but yeah, very dexterous kicker, he can throw like high kicks in the pocket. Uh, the mechanics uh, with when it comes to punching are pretty sloppy, but he has big power and has some good ideas of using the jab, especially. Um, Krilov is all about like bouncing in and out of range, but when he starts like extending combinations, he loses form. But he's very dangerous and opportunistic, especially when it comes to submissions. Like, he can get very sloppy, but in scrambles, he's very good at finding, like, leg locks or chokes. So, but he, uh, it's easy to control him if you settle him down. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I don't have much else to add on Krylov specifically. I think, like, Krylov showed against, like, Tashira that he's a pretty solid grappler enough to compete with with just about anyone in terms of strength in that division or like a capable enough scrambler to like be dogged enough to survive over a long hard paced fight uh against Ankalaev Krylov showed even with his back to the fence and that's kind of one of Krylov's underlying issues he gets backed up really easily um he i i do think despite the mechanical things like he shows a lot more ideas as far as rhythm manipulation as in comparison to other light heavyweights particularly behind the kicks, like you said. But in particular, he does like to jab into the head kick or body kick specifically. And that really throws guys off quite a bit every time he does. Um, As for how he matches up with Ustamir, I, I don't know, because Ustamir is kind of an anomaly sometimes. Because it's like, um, I, I don't know what the fuck Ustamir is doing with his hooks, but th- it's like that. Um, I think, like, the, the main... The best I think Ozdemir ever looked remains the Reyes fight, where he was often drawing reactive shots and drawing counters out with his level changes. I think Ozdemir does like to pot shot a lot with his jab, 
but kind of the weird thing about Ostemir is he he's very upright and stiff as far as his pressure goes. Um, and he's still kind of someone who's a lot better when he can either surprise you or can run over you. And so I suppose if he's unable to get to Krylov immediately, which I think he would be best equipped to do, then I think he's possibly going to get a little struggles behind um, Krylov's kicking game in particular, unless he can find that big moment. So very weird fight to call, but that's kind of, I think, par for the course with this division. So uh, I I don't know. It, it's definitely interesting, but... I, I kind of don't really know where it'll go. I kind of lean Krylov, but not super confidently. Yeah, this one is it's, it's hard to predict. Um, uh, Krylov might do good in, in imitating their common opponent in Act Alive and keeping Ustamir at kicking range, because that's where Ustamir has the least resources and answers. Uh, because... And Krylov has some tools, like he's very mobile, he's very nimble on his feet. Uh, and he has the output and the speed to put Bokan in danger. Especially early, I would say. Uh, I think Uzdemir uh, would be wise to pressure if out of the gate. Yeah, he has pretty decent footwork when it comes to pressuring. And he's good at, at drawing counters. And I think Krylov's like... Uh, has trouble with uh, the punching mechanics, as I said, especially when he like extend combinations because he has like that karate style, and he can he can put like quick combinations together, but the head stays up there for the taking. And Ustemir is one like one of the few guys in the in the division that put like functional boxing combination together. So it's interesting. I think Krylov uh, is moving into this fight with more momentum and has a good shot, but. I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to pick Ustamir by decision on this one. Because Krylov is very tough. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I have no idea. This is just one of those pickings. So, um, Next one is middleweight, 185. Mahmoud Muradov versus Cal Barallo. I hope I said those right. I apologize if I don't. But, um, so... I, I didn't get a good read on, like, both of these guys too much, but, so... Murdov's whole thing is he can crack quite a bit. In particular, he loves the right. Again, overarching theme of this thing. Lots of overhands. Um, he's very, very fast, dynamic. And like he loves to hook in particular, especially on the counter. Um, um, my read on him is he's a very kill-or-be-killed fighter. As in, he, can, he throws extremely hard, ex- is extremely powerful... But he overextends a lot, and that kind of means he gets caught out of position or can get backed into the fence. I don't, based upon what I've seen from him, I don't exactly think his takedown defense and ground defense aren't exactly the best. And that might be a problem against Barallo, who does like to play with rhythm manipulations behind the 1 2, and he can pursue takedowns off of that. Although Barallo himself kind of can get backed up, like, um, He's he showed like some comfort at reading like surface level exchanges and loves to threaten with his um um southpaw straight r- left um having so that I've seen Barillo kind of slow down a bit but on the ground that definitely seems to be where he's the most comfortable and I'd say that's probably where he'll win the fight if he gets it there. Yeah, I mean this is a fight between two guys that are pretty much used to be the the best athlete in every fight so it. 
it will be interesting to see how they match up. Uh, as you said, like Moradov is like athletic and quick. He throws very hard uh, on the counter and has pretty good triggers uh, for countering. Um, I like when he attacks the body when he's leaving it, even though he didn't show that in his last fight. And, and he also has like very hard kicks to complement that. Uh, the thing with Moradov is that he can get predictable when he's being pressured. And, and the cardio is a little bit sus when he's not controlling the pace. I mean, we saw we saw him falling apart against Gerald Mishart. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was a high pace, but it wasn't like a falling apart pace, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad real quick that you brought up Gerald's fight with him. Because one of the other things that makes me lean Barolo here, e- even despite the dangers Mordov poses, is because... Uh, Mirshoff did find a lot of success playing with counters off of his feints. It's to really get Muradov guessing, and that really tired and confused yeah. Muradov as to what was coming. Yeah, and yeah, Bohali on the other hand, is he's like a bouncy southpaw on the feet. Uh, he's mostly about the double attack and the right hook, uh, like the check hook with the right hand. Um, he's also like powerful. He has good ideas, but you can tell he doesn't have much depth when it comes to striking. Um, I think Murado will have a little bit of an advantage there. Uh, the thing about, about Bohali is that he has like a super quick level change and a lot of drive to finish takedowns. And it will be interesting to see if Murado can, can defend those early. Because I think if not, that's like a wash. <laughs> uh, because Bohali is a very good controlling grappler. Uh, he's somewhat of a back take specialist. And yeah, we saw Bohalio gasp, but it was like a an insane fight, you know. Uh, against Omar Gashev, especially, it was like a very high pace fight, and he was still like winning late. So, I think my prediction for this one is that uh, Murado will have a, like striking advantage, but I think uh, Kaio being like similarly athletic and having the physicality to like hold into him early will allow him to, like, get the fight late, where he has, like, the good ideas, as you said, of playing with rhythm and that kind of stuff. And if he gets takedowns, like, the fight is wins, is him to take, to take because he's very good in the ground. Uh, I think I'm picking, like, Bohalio by submission on the second round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably say the same. I, I do lean Bohalio uh, myself. Um, yeah, I think he'll probably submit Murdov. Yeah, if Moradov, like, tires again, it's, like, pretty clear that he's getting submitted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, next one? Yeah, so, the next one, um, although it's not taking place in the middleweight division, you might as well call this the most mid-fight ever, uh, welterweights, Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady, and, um, so... I'm pretty sure this is going to look super weird. Um, and I'm going to say it probably starts with kind of how both guys are very, very unsure on the feet. So I'll start with Bilal. So Muhammad himself is decently well coached and trained. But I wouldn't say there's anything particularly exceptional he does. Mostly he was looking for those tie-ups in order to, like, tie guys against the cage and just kind of keep them there. Uh, But the thing about him is he never really gives up and has pretty good recovery even when he's hurt. I'm not really sure 
if there's anything like exceptional he does on the ground or on the feet though so that kind of leads us to brady himself so brady likes to use half steps behind his level changes to get inside and he's very very patient with that but sometimes it lets the other guy take lead and mess with rhythm back with him like like Bilal, Brady loves to use the fence, but he likes to use it more so to break their posture. Er, and he does like to stand pretty close. Um, having said that, I kind of wonder when watching Brady, okay, if his plans don't usually work, what else can he do? And not really anyone has really punched him for that. But having said that, if there's one huge advantage Brady has in this fight, it's that he's apparently strong as fuck. So, I... um. I don't know, it might be a weird fight that comes down to Muhammad having more experience or Brady kind of being more dynamic. I don't really know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's that's like pretty much, I think, the same. When it comes to Brady, like he's very physical and athletic. Um, he has pretty good mechanics on the feet, uh, especially offensively. But he can be caught by long strikes, especially because he likes to like stay on the outside and then blitz in. Um... The thing with Brady is, like, as you said, he's stupidly strong. <laughs> he's so fucking strong. He doesn't even have, like, a wrestling background. And he's taking down everyone. Um, and once in the ground, he's, like, he shines there. Like, he's a very heavy top grappler, and he's dangerous with the with the back take. And uh, especially people like the, the triangle guillotine series that he has. Like, very good transition between those two. And... And Paul Felder has said that the squeeze is insane when he gets you on a choke. <laughs> Bilal, I could describe like a very disciplined all-rounder. Um, he has a pretty decent jab and he kicks hard. Uh, he's very flexible. He can stick a move or he can walk forwards. Uh, Bilal, very solid like takedown defense. And he has decent entries into his own takedowns. Um, Bilal is also like pretty physically strong but i think uh this might be one where he's not the stronger guy out there um i think mohammed has relied a lot in having like a wrestling advantage and physicality in his his late fights like against luke and wonderboy and but he has the tools to annoy to annoy brady on the outside uh being the more comfortable and very striker with higher output uh, means that he can probably stay disciplined to defend the takedowns. I think Brady has the dynamic part on his side, as you said. Like, he probably can make stuff happen for sure. Uh, because he will probably be stronger as Bilal, as I already said. And and he's like the better athlete overall. I think he might be able to surprise Bilal like, with a left hook here and there. Um... I wouldn't be surprised if like Brady is the bigger puncher of the two as well, even though Bellal is the better striker. But one thing is that I saw like Brady struggling with uh, Kiesa, like doing the stick and move. Uh, mind you, Kiesa is a lot longer than Bellal, but but Bellal is a lot better at uh, changing directions and moving you into shots. I would say uh, mm -hmm. I need to see Brady win a, a matchup like this before picking him. I think he has the dynamism and, and being more of a specialist, I think, uh, gives him the openings to win this one. But I think Bilal, by decision, is the safer pick. Yeah, it should be probably pretty close, though. Yeah, yeah, because the, the one thing that might come to bite Mohammed in the ass here is that is the lack of dynamism 
uh, he's like a decent athlete, yep. but he doesn't like put exclamation marks in fights. I think the Luke mm-hmm. fight might be like a right step in the direction, but I think Luke was like already pretty defeated when Bellal started having big moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it, it's like uh, Bellal could be winning, and at any moment, like Brady could tag him or get a takedown and change the fight around because Mohammed, the the big tr- problem he has is that he doesn't rack up a lot of damage. So, uh, so if Brady's cardio holds up, and that's an that has an asterisk to it, but if the cardio is there, like he can he can turn the fight around because Bilal is not going like to seriously hurt him. Uh, but I'm still picking Bilal by decision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I will. I will too, um, with caveats. Um, I, I'm a little less confident in Bilal than you are, but that's okay. Um, anyway, speaking of lack of confidence, this next fight, um, so women's, um, flyweight, we have Caitlin Chukagan, who, Jesus Christ, is the second best flyweight in the world, oh my god, uh, versus, is it, uh, Manon Firoa? Yeah, so, like, something like that. <laughs> that's okay, so, I'm gonna not even mince words that this is probably the worst fight on the card, um, but it might be super funny, so... Chukagan's whole deal is she wants to use the one and two consistently to control the pace, but she is also willing to use kicks to disrupt distance quite a bit. Um, what's confusing about Chukagan is that she will constantly spam the one, two. And as she's throwing the one, she, for some reason, throws her rear shoulder as she's throwing her jab because she's preparing to throw that two, but sometimes she doesn't throw it. And then she'll end up throwing the one-two at the same time and then fall out of balance a lot. And it drives me completely nuts. But having said that, just because of her activity and, like, clearer process, she controls fights a lot more than most of her opponents. Whereas Fiorot, um, her whole deal is she wants to jab on the outside. And if you step in, she's going to try to check hook counter you or counter kick Um... She's has some abilities kind of in like noticing opponent's offense in the clinch, but and she seems pretty strong when she gets on top position and wrestling exchanges, but otherwise Fjord kind of seems like a one trick pony or kind of a budget Chevchenko at times. So I have no idea. This might come down to kicks at range. I I don't know. Yeah, this one is it's hard to get a rhythm. Um this fight is like, uh, I would say it's pretty well matched and it's relevant. Uh, these are like as much as I don't like either of these fighters. They are good fighters. This is like, this is a bad fight not because they are bad themselves, but because yeah, uh, this this one it's going to be like very weird. <laughs> I hope it it ends up in like the in the funny side. Um, yeah, because Chukagian is very active, but. She's like pretty bad at hurting people. That's that's her her one big problem. Um, yeah, uh, Fiora is like a I would describe her like a bouncy side kicker. Uh, he throws the one two when people close on her, and she also likes like uh, intercepting people with the side kick. 
uh, another very dextrous kicker with the lead leg. Like, we've seen a lot of those in this card. But yeah, she can throw, like, hook kicks, uh, side kicks, uh, sneaky, like, roundhouse with the lead leg. Uh, so that adds some variety to her game, even though she doesn't have, like, setups for those kicks. Um, the thing about Fiorot is that she gets pretty uncomfortable when in, when she gets pressured. And she can lose composure in those moments. But on the other side of the coin, she's like super physical and has cardio. So she can weather like those little storms and come back and regain composure. That is actually like pretty impressive. Uh, Shukagian is like a mobile output kickboxer. You can tell she's a, a Mark Henry fighter. Like she clearly is. Um, all about the one two, as you said. Uh, but, but he's she's very inconsistent with it. Like sometimes she throws like a very good one two with perfect timing, and other times she tries like to play with rhythm, throws the two too early, loses her feet. Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Um, one thing that I like about Shukayan is that she's super disciplined about exiting exchanges in angles. And that's that's one thing that wins her a lot of fights because a lot of women don't do that, and that's the Mark Henry coaching there. And she also like has been adding, uh, grabbing like clinches proactively for defensive reasons, and I like that too because uh, the head movement is not very good on her part, and neither is on Fiorot part. So uh, both being active fighters, uh, these girls will will get hit a lot on this fight. <laughs> uh, I think Shukeya has the ideas and the length to expose uh, Firo's biggest issues, uh, especially because Firo is pretty used to being the longer fighter and Shukeya is longer than her. But I think it's the lack of power by Shukeya's part that that I think it it will make hard for her to pressure Firo that it's so much more physical than her. And and also, like, Fiorot has pretty decent cardio, so without the power, I don't see Shukagian, like, weaponizing her pace on this fight. I think this is going to be very competitive, but I think Fiorot is going to have the, like, bigger moments, and she will <laughs> win the fight like that, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I I would pick Fiorot in this one. Um... But uh, otherwise, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of just a weird fight. But these two are definitely two of the more processed fighters at one twenty five. Yeah, even though for, they're uh, they're annoying, they uh, they both have like a they, very well put together game. They aren't like particularly aesthetically fun to yeah. watch, and it may not result in a great fight. But at the very least, like like something's there, something's going. Um, but. The good news is, um, it's all uphill from here because these top four fights, who boy, guys, um, th this is where this card just goes nuts. Um, and it starts with, I'd say, in my opinion, the second best fight of the card, uh, Dariush versus Gamrot. But now Dariush, um, takes on Matthias Gamrot, uh, lightweight bout. Um, Fenyo, I'm gonna let you take this one off and I'll follow. Why is this fight amazing? Okay, so this one's. Very interesting. Uh, on one hand, we have uh, Benny Darius. Uh, so he's like uh, he's like your king's MMA southpaw striker on the feet. Like um, 
not super committed to cage cutting, but pretty good at pushing you to the to the fence and then punishing your exits. Uh, the the roundhouse kick is brutal from him, and and he has like pretty good understanding of of making you react, especially starting combinations with the jab and then fighting the left hand. The left the left hand the mechanics can be kind of wonky at times, but Darius can crack for sure. Uh, Gambrot, on the other hand, uh, is more like a—he's more like your standard kickboxer on the feet, um, but he's more shaky, you know. Like Darius is a very confident as a striker. I think Gambrot is very athletic; he can pop for sure. He has good ideas, but he doesn't trust his striking all the way. But what makes this fight interesting is actually what these guys do on the ground, because. Darius is like a tremendous grappler and obviously Gambrot is one of the best wrestlers in the division so it will be very interesting to see how those match up um, we've seen both uh, having a common opponent in Carlos Diego Ferreira and both won those fights uh, but it was interesting to see how the, the scrambles uh, played out in both fights um, uh, surprisingly, I think uh, Fejera had more success like scrambling out of positions against uh, Gambrot, even though the pace of Gambrot like wore him, wore him out a lot worse than Darius did. Uh, but it will be interesting to see. I think uh, Darius will be put in a position to, of defending takedowns, and that's like uh, something in, something that's a change for for the last fight that he has been. So it will be interesting to see if he can like generate scrambles against someone that is so heavy from the position like Gambrot is. Um, he probably can, but the question mark, the big question mark is, uh, can he keep up? Uh, so yeah, I mean, talk about, talk more about uh, how they match up on the feet and in transitions. Then. Yeah. So, so Gambrot's kind of interesting because I think, um, I think Gamrot kind of has some, um, a very, I, I don't think Gamrot has a really consistent process, but when he finds his success, he's great at flowing from there and especially feeling off successes there. The problem is it takes him kind of a while to find that kind of eureka moment, which is why like when he's feeling his opponents in ground exchanges, he's way, way more effective and dangerous. Um, but on the feet, he doesn't really have a lot of things going for him. Like, um, like he's definitely willing to fire and threaten enough to make guys back off, such as with check hooks, sometimes a kick, maybe even an overhand. Um, but against Dariush, kind of the problem with fighting Dariush is Dariush can overextend a lot, but Dariush himself is a very, very fast starter, which can bite him in the neck later on because he can tire out. But he's fantastically accurate when it comes to, like, punishing little mistakes guys do. I would say Dariush definitely has the edge in ringcraft, and he is very, very surprisingly accurate when it comes to, like, catching opponents at on the entries and exit points of exchanges. And in particular, I'd say one of the bigger dangerous problems for Gamron on the feet here is Dariush really, really does like to punish uh, resets in particular. Yeah. Um. And so Gamrod's going to have to figure out um, ways to really, really get that, those wrestling exchanges going. And, such a, and as, like, Diego Ferreira learned, like, um, Dariush is very, very willing to counter, such as with uppercuts or, like, knees to the gut when you step in. 
So it's going to be, um, I, I don't really know 100% how the, um, scrambles are going to go, but, um, I, I definitely think this being three rounds, um, is going to favor Dariush a lot more than Gamrot, unless Gamrot can really, really get those exchanges going. But I think he's going to run into a lot of resistance. Yeah, that's... Unless he can... Unless he's willing to take one to give one and push force a high-paced fight out of it. But it may not be enough. But I, I think this should be really, really exciting if it's the fight that I think it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think Gamrot needs to push a pace for sure on this one. But that's dangerous because, as you said, Darius is super, super dangerous immediately out of the gate. He's very sharp out of the gate. He's very accurate and has a lot of pop. Um... Uh, I think Darius needs to pressure on this one and keep the pressuring. Uh, uh, I think Gamrot saves himself a lot with reactive takedowns a lot, but I think Darius is pretty pretty decent at defending reactive takedowns. One thing that makes me uh, a bit nervous for Benny is that uh, I think of all takedowns, the low single that Gamrot uh, favors so much, it's kind of bad for Benny. Uh, I mean, Benny is good at defending single legs. Uh, he's good at... Uh, like taking an angle, pressure on the head, and but I've seen like Darius being taken, like taken down from caught uh, kicks. Um, I saw Diego Ferreira take him down uh, off kicks, and the low single from Gamrot is like some, some, somewhat similar to that. He doesn't need the kick because he like he has a super quick shot. He grabs your angle and then he's controlling your leg up in the air. And I think Darius has a little bit of trouble maintaining a balance in those positions. Um, but at the same time, it's going it's going to be hard for Gamrot to to time good reactive takedowns against someone like Darius that is going to keep on his face, uh, has like a decent uh, manage management of distance. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. I think. Yeah, I I would add another thing. Um... Uh, Gamrot didn't particularly look great in his last fight, but that's also because Sarukian is kind of one of those matchups that's really, really hard for Gamrot. Very bad matchup. Yeah. And, and although Gamrot did win, like, a controversial decision that I don't think you or I agree with, though, the fact of the matter is he didn't know how to play the optics of getting those takedowns and push for those and ways to get enough to win. And even if Aryush can stop those takedowns or even, like, kind of mitigate their effectiveness, I can kind of see Gamrot getting some success done enough to win on maybe an optics fight. But, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a tough one for him again. Yeah, I mean, if Gamrot is going to be to win this one, he's going to work a lot for it. Um, yeah, because if... if um one, one other thing. Sarukian isn't an amazing striker, but Sarukian's kicking game did give Gamrot a lot of trouble that will not bode well versus someone like Dariush. Yeah, Saruga probably like a more dynamic kicker than Darius, but I would say like when it comes to putting those kicks into a game, Darius is the better kicker of the two, so that will be interesting. Uh, Sarukian is like insane scrambler though, so so he was like super confident about kicking against Gambrot. Uh, Darius is no slouch, like he's a very good scrambler, but I'm not sure he has like the same dynamism that. Uh, Sarukian has to get back to his feet. That will be interesting to see. Uh, Darius is incredibly good at generating scrambles from bottom, though. He, uh, he has, like, very good swift from deep half. Um, he's good at rolling at uh, to the legs. 
Uh, he pushes at the hips immediately when he gets to guard, so all those things are are good stuff to do, but Gamrot is so good from top position that it's like, for me, it's like an unknown that's what's going to happen when it gets to the ground, but I'm very excited for, for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, yeah, so, what's your final so pick? What are, uh, I will take Dariush incredibly tentatively by decision. Yeah, I think I think I, I I'm just going to pick Gamrot because I'm just like trusting the the Jout and the speed here. I think uh, Dariush is actually a pretty bad matchup for him, but I'm not sure I can keep trusting him. Uh, I mean, obviously Dariush is still elite at this moment. But I think these are the kind of matchups that are going to be harder for him at this stage. Uh, I think tactically uh, it makes complete sense to pick Dariush, but I'm I'm going the opposite way. I'm picking Gamrod on mm-hmm. this one, so we're going to go in Got split it. ways. <laughs> Got it. So um, next fight, though, I think you and I are going to agree on what's going to happen, <laughs> though. Um, Bantamweight, 135, former champion Piotr Jan is fighting Sean O'Malley. So, I'll start off with this. So, O'Malley, um, what are the things O'Malley is really good at? So, O'Malley is a pretty fast starter. He works behind his feints in order to craft ways behind kind of a sniping sort of range. I think that's the best word to describe O'Malley. He's all about building up a distraction, a setup, and then executing kind of his sniper shot. So, he usually constructs that through his feints. You'll see him fake to the body or throw a body kick from the open side. And maybe he's setting you up to guard, and then he hooks around your guard with like a lead, like right hook. His speed definitely takes guys by surprise, and he does throw front kicks out there to incentivize and kind of control range. Whenever an opponent jumps on him, he's kind of um, he has a pretty good eye for counter punching behind like a drop step rear counter. He can because of his speed, he really just surprises guys. Um, with how hard he hits, especially as a hitter and a deceptively hard kicker. Um, and he's pretty good at working static guards and really, really punishing those little mistakes if you give him any kind of initiative. That's where we kind of run into kind of questions for O'Malley here because um, things O'Malley hasn't had a chance to really deal with is someone who has an incredibly active guard who can work offensively and defensively behind it. And nobody at Bantamweight has a guard quite like Piotr Jan. In fact, I don't really know if anyone mixes offense and defense behind their guard better right now. So, although you can get to Jan with enough, like, volume to kind of control him and pin him in place, you kind of have to work a lot for it. So, here's here's kind of the, some of the things I think O'Malley's going to struggle with from the beginning. Um, I think O'Malley has to is going to have to work harder than he ever has to... B- break that kind of guard but he's also going to have to worry about counters coming right at him on like a hair trigger because Jan will often bait you with that guard to lead hook your head off um the other thing is Jan's main game is still built around picking up your initiative and taking it away from you by enforcing his own and so the more you give Jan the more he's going to probably pick up on that and take that away so, I immediately think about all the little things O'Malley does that's going to give someone an opportunity if you take those away. So, the biggest of all is that O'Malley will take himself out of position, and he has to reset a lot. He's not an active pivoter. 
Although many people point to the kick defense, especially how, like, even guys who are just consistently kicking him for resetting have had success, that's going to be a huge problem versus someone who can cut the cage like Jan can. Um, and I don't really think O'Malley has much of an active rangy jab to really, really help him enforce range or to control someone from getting um, on top of him. Not to mention, I've seen him give up just way too much space. Like, Tomas Almeida was backing him up just by pressuring him forward, and Marlon Vera was just constantly attacking him for crossing his feet. So, th there's a lot of things that are kind of a problem here. And so, the more you give Jan to work with, the more he's going to punish you. And the problem here is O'Malley just gives a lot. Now, if O'Malley had, like, a few more range tools, such as a jab, being able to, like, be a more committed body hitter, or in being willing to work more with his volume, I th and had way better footwork, I think he would have a very good shot here, or of kind of playing some spoilers, but I think the ring craft is the big, big, big deal breaker here. And that's, and, and that's not even discounting for when it goes to the ground, because I'm pretty sure... If you want to hear my thoughts on what I think will happen, just watch Jan versus Douglas Silva de Andrade because I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, O'Malley, it's pretty use of making people shell out and just get to watch uh, him himself counter them. And I don't think he's going to get the chance to do that against Jan. I mean, he might early because of the length. Like, O'Malley is stupid long for the division. Uh, he used that length very well. But, but yeah, as you said, uh, Pyrrhian is super good at using the the high guard to convert that into counters. And that that thing will be problematic for O'Malley, especially as the fight goes long and Yang gets to make reads. Um, it will be interesting to see uh, how much Yang struggles with the, with the length. I mean... He already fought uh, Sanhagen, and as we saw, he won that fight. But uh, Sanhagen is a lot more content to stay into exchanges. Uh, I think O'Malley is a lot is a lot more willing to to exit after like countering or landing one or two shots. It will be interesting to see uh, Yan tracking him. Uh, he's very good at punishing people trying to exit on an angle, especially with the leg kicks and the and the sweeping hooks. Uh, the clinch will be also be interesting. Uh, you never you never know how the clinches will go when someone is so much taller than the other one. I, I would assume that Ian is a lot stronger and has more resources there. But I I've seen O'Malley being like annoying people, like just being like tall, strong, and just grabbing all their hooks. Uh, the kicking part, I think uh, Jan can do a lot of what like Pedro Munoz did with kicks, but being a lot more aggressive, um, and he will he will have like just a way easier time getting into position to land kicks if it comes to that. Wanna talk more about that? Um, I I don't really have much else to say. I think like my my biggest caveats here is like I think. It's a big step up for O'Malley, and if he played a lot more around with um, a jab, I feel like he would have a lot of success here. But I've not really seen too much of an active jab. Like, you'll see O'Malley play with the lead hand for a hand fight a lot, but I have seen Jan 
when guys try to hand fight him, he sh- finds a way around it and then shreds them. Like the Sandhagen fight, he turns Sandhagen's own hand fighting strategies against yeah. him. Yeah, he's very good at that. And it's, and I think to beat Piotr Jan, you either have to be able to compete with him like in layers and adjustments down the stretch, or you kind of have to keep him like pinned in kind of specific area like Sterling did. Because Sterling did a great job of explaining like one of Jan's longtime things. You can keep him pinned and then like exploit kind of that back taking like issue. But you can also just keep his guard convertible and then use transitions against him because you can, as good as Jan is as a transitional fighter, that doesn't mean he's unexploitable to it either. So yeah. I, I d- also don't think, um, I don't know if he, how Jan will start this fight, but if he, but if my like personal opinion that he's not a slow starter, he's just someone who builds kind of into a really high intensity later on. On um, I I think if he starts this fight the way he did like Dotson, for instance, then I I don't think this fight's gonna go that well for O'Malley. Yeah, I think it it would be smart for Jan like to, because you you know Jan wants to end up like putting a pace on you, uh, uh, but he's not like really a pressure fighter in the sense of like he wants to corral you against the cage necessarily. He doesn't need that to put a pace on you. But I think it would be smart on this fight to pressure early, like to put O'Malley against the cage. We've seen people do that before. And O'Malley has a few resources there. Uh, he can change directions. He faints. But but he hasn't faced someone as good as doing that. Because Jan, as much as I just said that he's not a pressure fighter, he's very capable of pressuring when he has tried to uh, just watch like the Jimmy Rivera fight. Uh, he started pressuring favor late in their fight as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, O'Malley can have success at moments and sometimes a guy, a puncher like that just needs one moment to win a fight. But if that doesn't happen, like Ian, I think it's going to figure out his game. Uh, he's going to punish the the legs. Uh, he's going to start finding the counter hooks, and and I think the physicality as well is some is something that a lot of people are afraid to test against O'Malley. Shito uh, Vera was not, and you, you, we saw the success there. I think Ian can take a page out of that book and just like. Being O'Malley's face, not not just like with technical striking, but also with physicality in the clinch. Yeah, because for all for all intents and purposes, like O'Malley is pretty fast, but Jan is a hell of an athlete and more physically durable in ways that allows Jan to kind of compete at the top of this division in ways O'Malley just hasn't shown yet. So I, I don't just I, I think this is just a huge step up for O'Malley, just in, in a lot of bases, but. I think it's ultimately kind of indicative of, like, what you need to be at the top of Bantamweight versus what O'Malley realistically doesn't seem to have yet. Now, we we might have surprises. O'Malley could show some different looks here. But as of what we do know, I, I don't really think he's someone I can favor in this fight. To go, and I'd be shocked if it went the distance at all. Yeah, I think uh, early it will be a lot more competitive than Jan's fans expect. But I think at the end it's going to look like a lot of uh, what analysts are more likely expecting. Uh, O'Malley can give the big surprise just because he has huge power. And 
And we haven't seen, like, I mean, Jan against, like, a lengthy power puncher. I mean, Sanhagen, as I said, more content to stay in the pocket, not not nearly as big of a puncher as O'Malley. So it's like a different matchup. It's, it's very hard to draw parallels between Sanhagen and O'Malley. They're not very similar. So this is an interesting challenge for Jan. I think it's a very interesting fight, to be honest. I mean, it's the pick is easy to do. Uh, we're both picking pure Jan, obviously. But I think it's a very compelling fight. I'm very interested about this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, speaking of compelling, I would argue the next fight is arguably the best fight on the card. If it isn't, it's close. Bantamweight title fight. Um, Aljamain Sterling is taking on TJ Dillashaw. Um, Fenyo, do you want to start this one off this time? Uh, sure. Uh, so, yeah, we have a battle of, like, uh, wrestlers turned into very well-rounded fighters here. Uh, we have current champion Aljamain Sterling, won the title against Pierre Jan in a very impressive performance. Even though he gas late, he stayed composed. Uh, Sterling is all about, like, being... He has, like, two modes on the feet. Uh, his usual modus, modus operandi is that he likes to, like, be annoying and awkward on the feet. Like, he has, like, flailing mechanics, but he puts, like... He has a very good selection of kicks, and he uses them well to keep the fight like long uh sterling is not like stupid uh, tall for the division but he's very long when it comes to the limbs and he makes himself longer with the use of kicks a pretty decent jab as well uh one twos uh, he has like all the like long range tools and and then he can pair that with the uh, with wrestling that he doesn't have like super clean entries. The connection between the striking and wrestling is not like uh, flawless. But the thing about Sterling is that he's very opportunistic takedown artist. Uh, if he catches you like stumble, making a mistake, he just can grab a leg, and from there he can grab like uh, body lock. Super strong for from body lock positions. Or if not, he can generate scrambles. So, like he's the funk master. He he has like a very funky style of wrestling, he, a very scrambly style. But also like he mix all those scramble positions to get to controlling positions, especially with the back take that has been like his winning, his winning card as of late. Uh, be it the rear naked choke against uh, Sanhagen or all the or the back control that he had against Pure Jan. Uh, TJ Dillashaw, on the other hand, much more of a striker uh, as a developed fighter. Uh, he's all about like uh, setting, uh, playing with rhythm and setting traps with the uh, with the hot steps, with the shifts, with the change of stances. TJ um, is all about like uh, his right hand. Uh, he switches to southpaw to have a very good jab, and then from from orthodox, he's all about like lining you up with the left hand to land like huge right hands. He has b- good variety with the right hand, even even though it looks similar. Uh, he has like the straight right, he has a, a tight right hook, and he also has like the wide overhand uh, with which he dropped Barrao back in the day to win the championship. Uh, other than that, TJ is also very dangerous with the high kicks. Uh, he's one of the best fighters in the sport uh, at concealing high kicks with level changes. Uh, as a wrestler, uh, impeccable like level changes and 
the takedown defense absurd. We've seen TJ like get back to his feet against tremendous wrestlers like Dominic Cruz in the blink of an eye. So that's what makes this fight so interesting. Like, uh, it's Sterling will be able to like keep Dillashaw at a distance with the kicks and then surprise with a takedown, or will be like the all the smokes and mirrors of TJ will get to, will allow him to land his bigger power against Sterling. Also, if the fight goes long, like uh, Dillashaw was a cardio monster on his prime, we saw him tire a little bit against Sanhagen in a grueling fight where he got injured like three times, and we saw Sterling like clearly fade in both fights against Jan, so a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns, but a very interesting fight. <laughs> so I think kind of just to jump on some things here, I think... Um... I, I think as far as the feet goes, there there are a lot of smoke and mirrors Sterling has, but he's very, very purposeful in everything he does. So one, one th even if a strike doesn't necessarily work or hurt the other guy, you can kind of see the practicality to it. So, and you'll see him mixing up multiple tools at a time. So even if the mechanics don't quite work, he's brilliant at putting everything to kind of together for a single purpose. So like you'll see him pair an open side body kick off a hand trap, up and the, maybe if it doesn't bother the other guy, oh okay, it pushes you back. Oh, if he, he might follow it up with a check hook to close that door if he gets things thrown back at him. Maybe he like shows some kind of maximization of a little tool, such as like, what if I just throw this overhand and then I can dive in to grab your leg to try to go for a back take? What if I just kind of use these kind of hooks at distance to draw you in? Oh, now I can time a spinning elbow he's really really good at this so like although like mechanically he has a lot of issues like he consistently uses things in the right enough decisions that he surprises much better strikers than himself so there are still weaknesses though in particular in the pocket if exchanges start happening he's not that good and he's still very very easy to back up but if he's able to push forward and start pushing for like exchanges and scrambles then like that's really where he's the most dangerous. Um, because when you give him that margin, that back take game is basically the best back take game in the sport because he will not fall off. Off And, like, even some of the best scramblers in the sport, Jan, Sandhagen, like, as you've seen, like, they were pretty much, like, when he got there, they had a hell of a time there. Sandhagen got finished, and Jan was controlled, like, for almost two rounds. So... The other thing, though, is um, ha having said that, there's a lot of, like, things with Aljo, though, that I, I would say, despite his, him being practical, I do think he kind of leans a bit more upon how much he can surprise the other guy. So, and once you kind of have that surprise, it kind of becomes easier to know what he's looking for. So against, like, Jan, for instance, Jan eventually realizes in both fights oh, you're always going to have this level change to look for something, whether it's to the body or, like, to the leg for that back take. So I just need to sprawl on you or, like, set up counters off the clinch in order to stop you there. Even Munoz is like, oh, okay, so you're trying to check hook me. I just have to counter kick you a lot. Or even gets KO'd, such as the Marais KO, where it's like, oh, you're coming in, I'll just counter knee you. Oh, you're dead. So I think anyone who's fighting Aldo should be putting him on the back foot. Because even though he'll throw out kicks to kind of keep you there, he loses his footing so much and guys can punish him constantly for that. Now, 
where TJ comes into play here is obviously we're not looking at like a prime TJ Dillashaw anymore. Yeah, for sure. So that that is one thing we have to consider, but he still looks really damn good against Sandhagen. Because Sandhagen was a tough fight for him, and that fight in particular, I think, um, kind of underlies just how experienced and good Dillashaw is. Um, because even though like Sandhagen's like one of the few fighters in that division who can basically out jab TJ, TJ still has one of the best jabs in this division's ever seen. And so I think what's particularly going to be good is some of the looks he showed against Sandhagen, such as punishing resets, such as with his footwork, with his check hook, with his kicks, especially, which really bothered Sandhagen late. Um, you'll also see TJ very, very willing to mix things up, such as pinning guys against the fence. And one success Jan did have against Aljo was he figured out, oh, okay, I can blitz you to the fence and I can kind of hold you there. Or in scrambles or like tie-ups that favor me where I can work you over. So the the other thing is um, T- TJ himself doesn't often look for those big moments to like tag guys. He'll constantly look for exchanges and longer exchanges. So he's constantly willing to throw things out, especially with the throwaways. And even though Sterling has a lot of answers and throws a lot himself, like there have been times he's been drawn in and then gets kind of owned for it, such as Munoz. And although it's really frustrating that TJ isn't, like, willing to mix up to the body a lot more, he plays with so many level changes and feints that he gets reactions that he wants. So I do think there are some things Aljo will surprise him with on the feet, such as Aljo might be able to jab with him or hand trap him or even surprise TJ with a step-in flying knee. Um, I think... TJ's counter shift lead hook is going to be money at backing all Joe off sometimes with level changes. Um, I do think that it, a lot of the striking, especially early might look a lot closer than you'd expect, but I think this fight will come down to ring cat craft and um, probably whether or not how the scrambles go or like, can TJ prevent those back takes, which that dude scrambles like a Wolverine for fuck's sakes. But yeah. who knows if that he can still do that. But I, I also think Sterling does benefit a lot um, from some things. And I think someone with Dillashaw's kind of skills and experience, he's kind of primed to take advantage of a lot of those. So this this is a very, very, very good fight. And I think the longer it goes, it kind of comes down to who kind of has a few more tricks. And I kind of, I kind of lean Dillashaw there. Um, yeah. But honestly, I think this should be really competitive, especially for, like, the first few rounds. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hating on Sterling here. I think he's a tremendous fighter, one of the best right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think what makes this fight more compelling is that this is not a prime TJ Dillashaw show, because I I think we both agree a prime TJ would be a very, very bad match. It would be a very, very hard fight. Like, I mean, not, not unwinnable, but I would, like pick TJ with my eyes closed if this was like uh, even like Dominic Cruz fight TJ Dilasho, I would pick him immediately uh, but but yeah I mean there's a lot of question marks around TJ on this one um, one thing that I like that you said is the the flying knees by Sterling uh, TJ might be open for those uh, I, I kind of see it now that you say that um he might get, he might annoy TJ with the with the jab and and denying denying like the long combinations, just staying long. 
uh, I think if DJ can, like, can get inside and he's very good at tracking guys on the exit and Sterling uh, has the, the mindfulness to exit on an angle, but the footwork is not very clean. And I think mm -hmm. that's great for TJ to, like, to just track yep. with the jab. I mean, he punished like uh, Asuncao a lot of times exiting out of the pocket with the jab. Uh, Asuncao like, has tremendous like footwork exiting the the pocket because that's his whole game uh also like the the kicking fight it will be interesting i mean i think sterling is like m more comfortable than tj like just kicking at range like throw uh, spamming kicks but i think tj is not no no slouch either there when he had to uh, to resolve to that against cody garbrandt he looked actually pretty capable uh, so yeah, I mean the the jab battle, the kick battle, those are very interesting. I think TJ has the the big edge on the pocket, but but Sterling might surprise him with something big, especially if like TJ starts conceding ground. Sterling gets very dangerous. Like we saw him even even in the first fight against Jan when when Sterling ended ended up getting his ass kicked. Uh, the first rounds, just out of pure pace and aggression, Sterling was taking those first two rounds against Pure Young, and that was very impressive. And and yeah, I mean, he ended up gassing in that fight because he went like he went he ended up overdoing it. But I mean, if that wasn't Pure Young, I'm not sure a lot of fighters survived that onslaught that Sterling put. On, on those rounds it was very impressive he was very sharp especially mm -hmm. with the knees uh pairing punches together sterling never looked better on the feet than in that round yep um so yeah i mean and especially if dj still has a little bit of ring rust like if sterling starts hot it might get dicey for for dillashaw mm -hmm. it's it's all about the questions of how how far removed from his prime is yeah. TJ? How do, how does this fight start too? Like, who's going to be the one coming forward? I think is kind of a big question, and who's going to yeah, have? Yeah, because some... bo both guys have tendencies to make the other fight tentative. Like Sterling, like uh, surprises people with the length and 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 also like with the pop of like the effortless kicks and jabs, and a lot of fight uh, and he tends to like push people back with that. Uh, TJ, on the other hand, is all about like the the hot steps, the shifts, and that makes also like people like question themselves one or two times before entering uh, this the striking into an striking exchange. So yeah, I mean, both things are very interesting. Like, it's Dillashaw's cardio there, is Sterling cardio there. Uh, how does this fight uh, begin? Who takes the initiative? Who push forward? Uh, there's a lot of things that we can't know. Yeah, but that's exactly why I'd say this is probably, as far as, like, potentially the best fight on the card, I, I'd say that's what makes this one probably yeah, best. Yeah, and, and, and unless, unless like, either of these guys, like, find a head kick, like, on the first minute, uh, that would be kind of disappointed, but... Other than that, I think this fight is going to rule either yeah, way. I mean, I'm sure. a big TJ Dillashaw fan, but if Sterling wins this fight, this is this, this well still will be very, it will be very exciting. Yes. This, this fight is going it's to be exciting. It's, it's going to be technical. It's bantamweight. It's bantamweight for the title. It never disappoints. That's true. All right. I, I'm out of things to say in that fight. I will take TJ by decision. I'm but... also... Picking TJ with a lot of caveats, but I'm, I'm yeah. taking the risk. It should rule. 
though. Um, so main event. So I I know we said the last fight is probably the best fight on the card, but this might be the most significant. Uh, yes. So for lightweight, the world title, uh, Charles Oliveira is taking on Islam Makachev. Um, so I I'd say the shorthand version of this is probably a fight that has the potential to um. It's very close to call, but it probably won't look like that. Um, yeah. So I think the question of all is this is a huge step up for Makachev in, in ways that I don't think any other fight has been for him. And although Oliveira does a lot of similar things to certain guys he's beaten, he does a lot of them with a lot more to offer. The biggest thing of all is in terms of finishing threats in MMA, I think Oliveira is basically peerless, or, or at the very least is number one. Um, because he, everything Oliveira does is about bringing that war to you and basically br- beating you down towards that finish. And he hits hard. He's stupidly he dogged, utterly fearless, has evolved himself into like this absolutely horrifying clinch and transitional striker. Like, you're incredibly dangerous on the ground, insanely powerful on the feet, enough that, like, he could go toe-to-fucking-toe with Dustin Poirier there, and who the fuck can do that? Um, the the other um, things is that, like, he's shown a lot of tactical and strategic acumen in his recent fights, such, yes, as, like, sure. such as actively pushing, like, punishing little weapons, taking away leg kicks of Gaethje, punishing Poirier's jab... Uh, but punishing the ground and attacking Chandler with kicks, ex- taking away Tony's footwork and then taking him down against the cage, beating Lee up with the clinch, etc., etc. So th- there's a lot of things Oliver is offering here. A- and then we kind of get to Makachev. And Makachev's still someone who hasn't exactly been tested too much in a lot of ways, but he he's kind of been treated, I, I think, in many ways as Khabib Nurmagomedov 2.0. But he's a very, very different fighter than Nurmagomedov. Um, and I think the biggest thing to stir is Makachev is more of someone who likes to work with um, kind of his passivity sort of threats, as in he likes to be reactive and then punish mistakes. Or he likes to look for his particular moment to push like some kind of moment where he can get control. Um, primarily, he likes to lead you up against the fence, use a lot of feints, sometimes flurries to get tie-ups. And then in those tie-ups, he like likes to chain wrestle. And then once he gets to the ground, that's where he really shines. That since that isn't my specialty, I, I I'm gonna lean, turn that over to you since I think you're more equipped to cover that. But um, lo- lot of questions for Makachev in this fight. But I I still think he's like a, at the very least a, a live dog in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. I mean, yeah, uh, the Bronx at this stage is, like, more than proven. One of the best fighters in the world, for sure. Makhachev might be one of the best fighters in the world, but we don't know that yet. So, he would have to prove that in this fight. Um, This is one of those fights with a lot of questions. Maybe Makhachev is, like, a very bad matchup for Oliveira, and we just don't know it. Uh, But when it comes to the striking, I think Oliveira is... A lot of trouble for Makachev. Uh, when it comes to differences with Islam and Habib, I mean, I guess some people are tired of the comparisons, but Habib is like the more known uh, item on here. Uh, 
I think Islam is like mechanically a lot cleaner than Habib. Oh, but he doesn't have like the power and and he's also I think Mahjev is underrated as a as a cerebral fighter on the feet, mm-hmm. much like Habib is. Their their approaches are kinda different. Like Habib was more a lot more about like finding one tactic that works. And then explaining. Yeah, Magachev is a lot more about controlling what's happening in the fight, so he likes to limit exchanges and and try to like like trying to make you make a mistake. Magachev, mm-hmm. um, one one thing that he has going for him and he needs against Oliveira is that he starts pretty hot. Um, we've seen people trying to bring the heat to Magachev, and he has like the reactive takedowns. Um, He's like pretty clean with the punches and the kicks out of the gate. Uh, obviously, he will have troubles against Oliveira. That it's like the perfected version of that, like that upright striker that he is. But when it gets interesting, is uh, on the ground because, and it goes both ways because I mean it was circling the that gif of Thiago Moises uh, taking Makachev down from a from a body lock. And like the body lock is like the char the Charles Oliveira special. He's so strong from there. Uh is an insane scrambler in his own right. The few times that he was put in like defensive positions by Sarukian and Thiago Moises, he was able to escape no trouble out of that. Um but also we've seen Makachev try to um have to resource to his striking to win fights, especially against like Sarukian and against uh, uh, Davi Hamos, uh, those were fights where Makachev had to had to win on the feet against uh, against a very good uh, grappler. And Oliveira would say this on that same level. I mean, Oliveira just needs to avoid the mistake of like playing off his back. We've seen that do before, especially in his last uh, loss against Paul Felder. He started playing guard, got smashed there. That's very dangerous thing to do against Mahashev. But I think one of the improvements, as you mentioned, is that Oliveira is a lot more, uh, is a lot sharper uh, tactically nowadays. So I would say he he would be a lot more mindful to generate scrambles or try to get back to his feet, or or try to get to top position. If if Oliver gets to top position, he's brutal. We saw him uh, like mauling Dustin Poirier from close guard, and we've seen him like submit everyone. He's the person with the most submissions in UFC history. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of unknowns. Like uh, Oliveira hasn't had to defend a lot of takedowns lately. Um, Chandler shoot uh, a super fast double leg, and that's not exactly the kind of takedowns that Makachev usually favors. And Oliveira uh, default to a guillotine. I mean, it was a close call, but Chandler was able to survive. Uh, Chandler was also able to get like big success, like uh, posturing up and landing ground and pound. So I think that part of Oliveira's game is not completely fi- completely fixed. If Mahashev ends up on top, um, he has a very decent ground and pound. Uh, he's a lot more clinical about looking for the submission than Habib was, though, and, and that could could favor Oliveira a little bit. But it's a very interesting fight, especially if it goes to the ground. If he stay up on the feet, I think Oliveira will have 
somewhat easy time because uh, Makashev is not terrible on the feet, but Oliveira is one of the best strikers in the sport. Like, he's just so good everywhere. Uh, Makashev is a specialist that is well-rounded enough to make it work. And that's what makes this fight so so compelling, in my opinion. Yeah, so so I think some of the problems on the feet we're talking about with Makachev is so one thing uh, against Makachev is that he doesn't have a lot of distance tools, but you see that he's willing to do stuff. You'll see that um, he'll he'll show some improvements, such as improved hops at distance to read strikes to draw reactions up, and he has shown some improvements with his pivots. The thing is, though, you'll also see him back guys up against the cage, such as Moises, and he's decent at cutting them off pretty well. But then you kind of see him watch a lot of his work so much. And you still see he's willing to, like, throw a decent rear kick to the body to punish their resets. But then, like, he sometimes just lets it go and sort of lets them get some pace or composure back. Yeah. And, and I think here's kind of the problem here. So... Although that's kind of a good way of surprising a lot of guys, and it may work here, the, the problem is Oliveira starts harder out of the gate than just about anyone else in the sport. And he, not just yeah. hard, he starts strong as fuck. And so, strong and sharp. It's, he starts like he's on the best part of his fight already. He's yeah. so brutal to deal with. Yeah, and so he, here's the thing. Um, if you aren't able to, like, find ways to, like, take the initiative away from him for that, then you're going to have a hard time. And th that's why it's incredibly essential that Makachev gets it to the ground quickly, I'd say. Um, yeah. And what that's kind of where I think the intrigue of the clinch comes in. I I'll personally talk more about this maybe, like, a in a thread or short article that I'm working on right now. But... If, as far as the clinch dynamic, it, it's going to be very interesting um, if they tie up because Makachev kind of accepts the clinch um, in open space, whereas Oliver crafts it more off of his strikes or successes. So, but in the clinch, Makachev likes to kind of turn you and pivot you into his trips, whereas Oliver kind of likes to pin your head down to break your posture and then knee you. But Oliver will also willfully break grips in order to keep attacking you and then re reattach them, break them again on purpose to hit you. Well, and I've seen Makachev be hit on the break, such as by Sarukian a few times. That's definitely something to look for. But I also think Makachev being so active at fighting grips in the clinch that I can see him turning and tripping Oliveira. Because one, one thing worth saying about Oliveira is, although he's unbelievably sharp, He's unbelievably fearless. Sometimes um, that does lead to some caveat that, like, he's willfully going to concede, oh, this is where the fight's going to go now. And I do think some of that showed against Kevin Lee, for instance, because a little Lee isn't, like, has his own issues. Lee is a hell of a top player and stupidly strong. And although he never really threatened Oliveira, and Oliveira showed improvement with his arm locks and shifting to the side... There, um, I, I do think that that's kind of a precedent to kind of be a little worried. But on the other hand, also, Lee, Lee's a lot more active and aggressive in ways that Makachev isn't. So th this is a really weird fight to call, I'd say, because we're dealing with so many unknowns about kind of how both guys work. But you can see that, like, th there's, there's enough interesting things going on that, um, it, it might be really, really fun temporarily, but most likely someone's probably going to get smashed. Yeah. 
Uh, I would I would add, yeah, Oliveira for sure, the better clean shot in open space. I would say against the cage, I would favor Makhachev. Yes. Um, yeah, he's so strong and he's he's just so good at using the cage as an aid for him. Uh, in a way that a lot of MMA fighters haven't catch up yet. Uh, but yeah, in open space, I think Oliveira for sure. But Oliveira has, has had like sketchy moments in open sk- space clinching. I think a lead took him down from a body lock there when Oliveira went for car ties. So that's one thing to watch out for. But I think Oliveira's like uh, grip language has gotten better since that fight. I mm-hmm. think it looked brilliant against Gagey and Poirier. I mean, Mind you, like, Poirier especially not as good as a clinch fighter as Makhachev, obviously. But one thing to look out for. Uh, interesting to see what happens with the cage graph. I mean, Makhachev uh, can pressure, but I think he'll accept the back foot early. Because Oliveira just pressures so hard out of the gate. Unless, like, Oliveira does, like, something very stupid and does, like, a gagey and takes the back foot against the, the wrestler. But I I think if we can trust one guy to not do that in MMA, I think that's Charles Dubronx. But yeah, I mean, very compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what we've seen for both fighters, I have to pick Oliveira to win by a knockout on this one. Uh, there's a there's a there's a non small chance that Magashev just gets to top position and wins, but I need to see it. Yeah. Uh, it, like I, I'd ultimately would say this: Makachev is a good fighter. He definitely is, but there's still the thing with Makachev that has always been true is that we we kind of still haven't really seen him fight a lot of really really good fighters outside of Sarukian, and Sarukian's kind of the sort of fighter that Makachev is built to kind of get the better of. So, and that was also like a couple of years ago. And as good as, like, Bobby Green is, Bobby Green can concede, like, the back foot pretty easily. So and no comp also. <laughs> that's fine, yeah. Like, he took that fight on a week's notice. True. So, it's, it, it, it's just, like, at this point, it's, like, although we can recognize Makachev is good, dealing with the data we do have, it's really, really hard to pick against Oliveira. But are either of us going to be surprised if he loses? No, but he's definitely the better pick, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be upset of the year or anything. Like, it's a very live dog, uh, Makhachev. I think the the odds uh, have him as favorite. I was having as a slight underdog. Uh, I'm picking Oliveira here, but there's there's some notes here. Uh, even even if you are like very well well versed in grappling, even people that are better well in better bears in grappling than I do uh, still don't know what's going to happen on the, on the on the ground especially because we don't know in what terms this fight will go to the ground mm-hmm. um, so it's very interesting to see how the how the takedown battles how the clinches go or uh, how Makhachev deals with the pressure and the onslaught that is Oliver on the yeah, field how does Makhachev deal with not being consistently the guy being having the initiative and that's something he has really had the luxury of having, and although, like, someone like Sarukian didn't give him that, like, Sarukian's sense of initiative is looking for tie-ups in wrestling exchanges, and that's Makachev's world. So, and that's not what Oliveira does. So, yeah, I, I think I'll take Oliveira by second round knockout. 
Yeah. Um, I'm giving Mahachev a bit more of a chance because of the grappling, especially if he goes to the ground. I don't think he gets like immediately murked. So I'm picking a third round knockout for Oliver mm-hmm. on this one. Got it. Well, I mean, this should otherwise be one of the most compelling cards of the year. I don't think we have anything else to say about it. No, this one is good. Uh, fights to watch other than the main card um, that are interesting here. I would say um, Petrosian versus Dobson is going to be fun, if not like incredibly good. Uh, Tukugov versus Almeida probably has potential to be pretty good too. Um, pretty much that's it. Then it's all about the the top fights that are fucking great. Mm-hmm. But the whole the whole pay per view is pretty decent. Ah, uh, if you're going to watch one pay per view in its entirety, including prelims and all things, uh, it's let this it one. be this one. Yeah. yeah, it's this one. Yeah. Um, so, I don't much else to say. Nope. Very good card. Uh, thank you all for listening so much. If you enjoy this podcast, we have a Patreon where you can, um, what is it currently? It's the least amount, $5? Did we change it? I think we did. <laughs> I think it's $5. Whatever, the bottom line is it's it's a minimum of 3 to 5 Right now it goes to our colleague Tuman, who is currently trying to escape Russia. Every little bit counts towards helping him with that. And so please do so, and at the very least you support our agenda trying to um complete more um analysis in this community it's desperately something that i'd say is really important to us um it's very fun to produce podcasts like these and we always appreciate you all for supporting us if you do so i got nothing else to say but thank you for listening and your support is always appreciated good night good night